Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Welcome back. That's the uh, opening line to a really old sitcom from way back in the day. As a matter of fact, it goes so far back, I wasn't allowed to watch it. And my sister was. And all the world seemed to be able to watch it except for me. Because it was deemed inappropriate for me by my parents. Which, you know what? It's probably true. <laughs> they were wise parents. Love them both. Uh, at the time of this recording, my dad is no longer around. He is hanging out in heaven, and my mom is, and she's awesome. She is awesome. All right. Uh, Exodus chapter 10. We're going to uh, take a look at the verses. Bob's like, of course we are. That's what we do. I know, I know. It's what we do on the epic narrative, and it is one of those things that I think is, it, it is a, it is a unique podcast in what we do. It just is. And the podcast platform is really the best place for this type of activity to take place because it gives us that, it just gives us that form. You, you probably couldn't do what we do on a Sunday morning in any church because it's too long and uh, it would be, it would just, it would just not generally, most churches, sorry, it generally wouldn't go over well. You could do it at a conference, but I don't know if you could finish a story. I mean, I know uh, <laughs> Bob's laughing. I'm laughing too, right? I don't know. Could you do a 60-hour lesson on the life of David at a conference? Probably. I mean, you know, you could probably, it would be a long week. Yeah, like 10 hours a day for six days. <laughs> it's, that's like the worst conference schedule ever. First session will begin at uh, 7 a.m. <laughs> There'll be a 20-minute tw break at 10, 20-minute break at noon, 20-minute break at 3, and the final session should conclude about 7 p.m. or <laughs> something like that. <laughs> It'd be the worst. And we will continue that for seven day or six days. <laughs> but you will have the most comprehensive opportunity to study the life of David ever given in a six-day period of time. And that's true. And that would be true of Genesis, and that's true here, of course, as we work through Exodus. Although I don't think Exodus is going to hit 60 hours. I think we're going to be closer to 50. And uh, every time I try and explain to the world that it's a little shorter and my wife hears me, she just starts to laugh because she's like, every day you tell me, <laughs> this is this uh, this episode probably won't be as long as the last one, and yet she said, and you know maybe five minutes difference. She goes, you can't do a short episode, you can't do a short story. It's true. She asked me a question the other day, and I was talking on and on, and she, and she just finally looks at me like she's irritated, and I realize I haven't answered the question. I'm giving her all the background information and possible side routes that. Con that brought me to my conclusion, but I hadn't told her the conclusion yet. So I finally answered the question, which was like, yes, I am going to go. And then she was like, you see, you should have started with that. And then you could explain why, 
but my goodness. And I was like, I know. I know. I said, I'm a storyteller, and and that's just the way it is. And I get that way when I sit in in church or when I listen to a podcast and somebody makes some vague reference to a story and I think you you did you do any research? Like you literally just spouted off something you read in a book, but it's not research. It's what somebody like uh, the other day I heard a preacher say, "Well, Baal, you know, is a god of the fire and he he you sacrifice your children to him." And I'm like, "No. No. No. That's no." That's archaeologically, you are so wrong. And and yes, I mean, child sacrifice happened. To, you could you could sacrifice your child to any of the gods. Like it, Moloch required, you know, had the the copper basin that was heated red hot, and you would throw the infant into the middle, and the infants came from the from the temple prostitutes and the orgies that would take place under the Asherah pole or whatever. It's like, guys, you know, you're just, and I have to remain calm because parts of me wants to just stand up in the meeting or call into the show and be like, seriously, like you're painting with these brushes that are like, you might as well have a, a spray gun out. And, and, and it just proves you haven't done the research. You're trying to, you're trying to prove a point. And that's why this particular uh, podcast, I think, wouldn't fit in most places because most people are trying. They want to. They're they're there at a church to prove their point, to feel like they're in the right, to think, "Hey, I'm I'm at a good place. All the other churches aren't." Or they're there to say, "I don't want a church that takes a stand on anything." So I, you know, I just want to hear good things about all people, and then I can go. For, but I don't want it to go more than 20 minutes. Oh, my goodness. Where in the world are we? How did we get here, Bob? How did we get here? Get us back. Oh, start reading the verses. Good idea. Chapter 10, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses. And remember, Moses views things this way because he can't give credit to God, any, anyone, good credit to anyone but God. And sometimes when God reveals things to you, it's not because he's going to do it, but because he knows it's going to come. It's going to happen. And he's giving you a word of warning. It doesn't mean he's telling you, oh, he's warning you that what he's going to do. He's just a loving God. He's going to reveal the plans of the enemy because he doesn't want you to fall into the trap. So anyway, so I'm sorry. And Bob's like, you, you, would you just read the verse? Yes, I'll try. I'll try and read at least two of them. <laughs> Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these signs of mine among them, that you may tell my, your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Uh, yeah, I can't go on. I, I, we, we need to stop there because, man, this looks really bad. Like, literally, if you've listened to the epic narrative now for two and a half seasons, you, you could be saying, see, Bob, everything you taught us is a lie. There it is right there in English, in black and white. I emphasized English because, of course, I want you to remember these are translations, and uh, we've got to do some research. But there it is in black and white. In the Bible, this is the word of God. He plays puppet master, and he purposely 
forces Pharaoh to behave a certain way so that he can he can have a great reputation. All right. Because that's what it looks like, right? It looks like literally God created Pharaoh just to crush him. So God could look good for generations to come. Your children and your grandchildren and their children's children. For generations, I will be known as an awesome God because I played puppet master with Pharaoh and, of course, made all the women and children, men, women, and children of Egypt pay for the, for his hardened heart because he's responsible for them because he's the Pharaoh, but I actually, I tricked him. I'm a good trickster. I mean, not that I'm a trauma, I'm a righteous, holy God that can't be messed with because I will crush you like a grape. Let's review with that story one more time, shall we? Let's... Tell, tell the grandchildren one more time about how awesome I am as a God. That I am not to be toyed with because I toy with people. You don't toy with me. I toy with you. I mean, on, by any standard, this looks like a very abusive relationship. I mean, it, I, I work with people at my current job at the time of this recording. I'm working part-time at a liquor store down the street. And, you know, I work with people who are in Terrible relationships. And I, I try to, you know, in my own, as gentle as I can way, try to point that out to them. But this is the kind of stuff that they deal with. It, and, they, and, they, and, and, they, and they manipulate right back. This is exactly what it looks like. It just looks, this looks bad. Yet, you know, tradition, tradition, that's a, just in case you don't know what in the world that is, that's a, a quick couple measures, couple bars from uh, the 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 Broadway show, and pretty fun little little movie if you can find it, called Fiddler on the Roof. Anyways, uh, tradition says God can do what He wants. Look at the results. So basically, so many Christians a spouse to situational ethics when it comes to God. God can do what he wants because he gets the right results. God can toy with Pharaoh. He can harden Pharaoh's heart because look at the results. He's, he's, got, the, he's got the best, uh, you know, the best intentions for mankind. And, and if he doesn't force Pharaoh to harden his heart so that so that God can come through and do great things, then the world won't be saved because Jesus won't come from, for, you know, the, the, the land of, of Egypt or the land of Israel will never develop and the, the town of Bethlehem will, I mean, the, the whole plan of God hinges on him toying with Pharaoh's heart. <clears throat> well, that is one way to look at it, right? And some would say, well, well, Pharaoh deserves it. Because he was mean, and he doesn't love God. He he loves other gods. He he thinks he's the sun god, or at least the earthly representation of the sun god. Or he thinks he's you know he thinks these other gods will save him. Well, that's evil, and he deserves to die. So it's okay. Everything's good. It's all good. Yeah, well, you see, I agree that when you read these verses, it could look that way in English. It really could. And I know, I literally know people who preach that it was all good. And 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 they have really 
uh, honestly, very convincing, uh, passionate views. And if you disagree with them, it almost sounds like you don't think God is all-powerful. You don't think God is holy. You don't think God is righteous. You don't think God is the only one that can judge. That's another phrase, right? Well, God's the only one that can judge. And if he's judging all these people to death, then that's that's you know coming from the only one that can judge all people to death. So really, this is not a problem. It's only a problem if you don't love God. And well, we know all we all know what happens when you don't love God. He messes with your heart and he f- puts you in a position where he can kill you because he loves you and he's all loving and he's a judge and righteous and holy. And that's what he did to Pharaoh and all the innocent people of Egypt. So we have precedent is set. This is this, as you know, for me, is just an absolutely a horrible view of who God is. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus shows us that he isn't that way. And and I just read a theological paper today in which the only way that they could justify God's behavior in the Old Testament was Jesus's behavior in the temple. And as you know, season one, bonus episode, it came out on a Thursday. I don't know the episode number, but it's, you know, Jesus in the temple. And I just give you that opportunity to look at that story with new eyes because there's there's nothing in that, in those verses. There's no word used in the language of those verses that require Jesus to be angry. The only way Jesus gets angry is if a translator wants him to be and they make it that way. But I don't think he had to be. And given the rest of his life that we know of, there's no indication that he ever got angry before this. So why? Why would you suddenly have a have Jesus like whipping men, women, and children, flipping tables, stealing from stealing from money changers, literally just throwing their money to the poor on the street saying, you know, give it all away. Like that, really, that's the heart of God. And yes. And they say, yes, look, look at the Old Testament. See, God takes the money of the money changers and he throws it to the poor. Steal, uh, just, uh, it's wrought, it's wrought with problems. So let's start here with the word harden. Uh, verse one, go to Pharaoh for I have hardened his heart. So remember the word I is not in the language, original language. So, so we just got to take that out. It's, it's, in, it's, it's implied by a translator. Basically it's implied by the reader one way or the other as to who hardened what heart, but the word harden equals the word heavy, grieved, burdensome. Hard, dull. So, so let's just let's just hang on to that that definition, and let's combine it with from verse two that you may tell your children and your grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them that you may know that I am the Lord harshly to deal severely to make a fool of, or to thrust, thrust on ruthlessly, not holding back. Those two words in those two verses, 
hardened in verse 1, harshly in verse 2, seem to have the most impact on the nature of this pair of these of this paragraph of these two verses and and seem for many to to justify their their view of God in all of this it it puts it i mean if you thought God was angry and killed people you've been thinking that since genesis so these two verses kind of uh encapsulate that mindset so so while we look at these verses let's pretend <laughs> Let's just pretend that God is good. Let's pretend that he looks like Jesus. Let's, I, I know for some of you, this is, is, is going to be a stretch. Or if, if someone sent you this podcast and was like, hey, listen to this episode. Some of you, are, are, you're, you, some of you might actually already be like almost epileptic in your, in your response to what you're hearing in your headphones or, you know, over your Bluetooth speaker. But let's just pretend that God is good. And let's pretend that he looks like Jesus. So God is revealing the truth of Pharaoh's beliefs about himself and the lies that he's believed about the idols that he worships. That's what's going on. That's how he's dealing harshly. He's revealing things. He's making Pharaoh look foolish He's thrusting him into the light. He's not holding back the information. God is letting him see the true nature of the magicians, of the sorcerers, of the wise men, of the political advisors, and all the roles that they've had in enslaving him, Pharaoh, to the life of fear, pride, Arrogance and entitlement. All of this has been revealed. We've been talking about it for the last, shall we say, the last six or five rounds of of battling uh, between God and and, uh, the enemy. Because really, this has been God exposing the enemy. This has been the this is God showing the Egyptians. The true nature of what they were what they were worshiping, that the nature of, of their lesser gods, of the idols that they worship, was not to bring life and protection, but to bring death and destruction. And that's exactly what God is allowing to happen. And instead, he's showing them that he, Yahweh, is available for protection. By protecting the people of Israel, it's an invitation to the people of Egypt to follow after God. And we saw in the in the last chapter. That some of some of Pharaoh's officials took the warning of Moses and brought their cattle and their servants inside because of the hail that was coming. Literally, they understand what's going on. They see that when when Moses comes in, he brings a warning as to what's going to come, so that they can avoid it. And 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 so many people present this as though these are plagues that God is sending, and and there's no avoiding it. And yet, the F- Egyptian officials are starting to pick up on the rhythm here. They're starting to see what happens when Moses says something. We need to we need to heed it because his God is trying to tell us what's going on. His God is revealing the plans of our gods, which means his God sees our gods his there's no secrets 
from you know that that there's no secrets our 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 idols our gods cannot keep secrets from Moses's god we should be paying attention but not all of the officials are like this right but i believe that pharaoh is beginning to see all of this so yes his heart is heavy his heart is grieved his heart is burdened by this information. This exposure has been thrust on him, right? We talked about that. No holding back. This information has been thrust on him, and it has been ruthless in the way that it has made him look like a fool or maybe even just feel like a fool. And one of the things that very prideful people really, really react badly to is being made a fool. Man, you want to see you want to see you want to see somebody not re, not respond well. You know, you look you you watch any arrogant person be made a fool of especially publicly. And I'm thinking I started chuckling cuz I started to think through examples in my head and and a sports world comes to mind. You look at two players, right, who are clearly gifted, talented, and arrogant. And one of them just way outplays the other. And then they want to hug it out afterwards. And usually it turns into a fight. Usually the the arrogant both, you know, the two the two prideful ones, like the one who wins, the one who's done the best, is thinking, this is awesome. I knew I was awesome. I'm sure this other guy or girl just wants to be friends. And the other person's thinking, I want to I want to kill you because I'm awesome. And I don't know what just happened, but it'll never happen again. Don't you come near me, don't talk to me, don't get in my face. It it happens all the time. You I've seen it happen with coaches. After a basketball game where they won't shake hands or after after a football game. Uh there was one this past season again at the time of this recording. <clears throat> this past season where where one coach clearly mm, belittled the the other team we'll just put it that way he did some he made you know some they you know they clearly had the game won but they did like you know an onside kick and recovered it ran it in for another touchdown and just thought it was really funny and he goes across and he wants to give this other coach a hug and the other coach pushed him away, just literally like he shook his hand and then just pushed him away. When the when the victorious coach came in to give him a hug, like, ha-ha, wasn't that funny? Come on, bro. And it was a big deal. Everybody's like, whoa, did you see that? Because it, it prideful people do not like being exposed as possibly being foolish. There are some people who live with that mantra, I will not be made a fool of. Their lives are rough because they they are almost paralyzed when it comes to decision-making. They can't make a decision until the last possible second because they don't want to make the wrong one. It's, it's hard on them. It's a conscious effort to break that pattern. And Pharaoh, I think, is being exposed. That's what I see in these verses. Pharaoh's heart has become heavy and grieved and burdened by the ideas and and. Uh, not ideas, by the lies 
that he's been believing and by the, by the manipulation of those who have been around him. And the longer that this battle between he and God goes, the more that that stuff is exposed and the more foolish he looks, which I think keys into why he keeps changing his mind is because every time he, he releases the Israelites to go into the wilderness to worship God, he realizes now everybody thinks I'm, now everybody thinks I'm a fool. And then he, he turns back on his word because he wants to look strong. He doesn't want to lose face. He, it's it's an incredible burden. And every time he sees the truth of what he believes and worships, he's humbled, but he feels foolish. It's, it's one of those things. You get humbled, right? Humility invites re- deeper relationship with God. Foolishness invites separation from God. So when you're humbled, the enemy comes in and whispers, you're a fool. Because the enemy wants you to separate from God. The opportunity to humble himself was was constantly an invitation from God to say, let's get into relationship. Reach out to me. Let my people go. Let them worship me. And let you and I work on a relationship out of humility. It's the same between conviction and and uh, and and uh, what's the what's the other C word? Conviction and condemnation. Thank you, Bob. The conviction comes from God because conviction is invitation to deeper relationship. It says, "Hey, here, my love has exposed something, so that you can get rid of it, so that we can be in deeper relationship. And all you have to do to get rid of it is tell me about it." Invite me to throw it out. I'll throw it out and I will fill it with truth and you and I can be closer. Condemnation then comes from the enemy that says, you're an idiot. God doesn't like you. See what he did. He exposed you and now you're humiliated and foolish. And God's like, no, 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 no. I revealed something to invite you closer to me. And that becomes the battle in our heart and our minds. And I know that those are two different places because it's a battle emotionally and it's a battle intellectually because we have to fight our beliefs and the way we our beliefs determine our emotions. It's 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 not an easy thing. What what Pharaoh's going through is not easy. And that's what I think the word hardened ties into because of the full definition of hardened speaks to all the depth of what he's going through. So he goes back and forth to, from his old paradigm of lies to the invitation of God, back to the paradigm of lies, back to the invitation of God. And, and the more he does this, the more severely it, it becomes. And the deeper the lies go, the more intense of the reaction of the enemy to bring a more even you know a more intimidating plague, so that Pharaoh will be crushed and people will die. That's the goal of the enemy. I'm going to keep upping the ante until you refuse to give in to God. You really think the enemy's like thinking, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry. I have to keep making things worse. You know, I, I, I feel really bad about this. No, he relishes the invitation to make things worse. He can't wait for you to die. He's not happy till you're dead. Back and forth he goes. This is a incredibly heavy burden. So Pharaoh keeps descending deeper and deeper into dullness and hardness because 
because he keeps refusing that invitation and the enemy keeps wanting to intimidate him even more so that he will never consider the invitation. But Pharaoh keeps finding the strength to at least entertain the invitation of God. So I don't, as much as it, you know, many people want to make him into this incredible villain who's constantly toying with Moses and the people of Israel's heart. I think so much of this is also his internal desire to finally give in to somebody who is greater than him, to realize that I don't have to be the beginning and the end of all things. There's actually someone greater than me. And it would be really nice to have someone else to share this burden with or give it to him completely. And, and, and man, the enemy's like, no, I've got to make things worse. I've got to let him know that if he goes against me, I will kill him. Like that's, that's the pattern I'm seeing. I'm seeing the pattern of the enemy in the plague and I'm seeing the heart of God in the revealing of the enemy. And unfortunately, so many people don't see the enemy in this at all. What they see is God and they believe the loving God is beating the snot out of Pharaoh and the Egyptians to prove to prove his point so that so that he can have great stories to tell to his children and his grandchildren. God is bringing light to the darkness. He loves doing this, but he's not going to do it rudely, which is why he started so gently with just a snake in the courthouse or court in the throne room or the courtyard wherever he was. This these two verses, this paragraph, I think reveals the torment that Pharaoh's going through and choosing to go back and forth over and over again. God's signs are the opportunity for a nation to come to the light, love, and freedom of God. And Pharaoh is the gatekeeper for that nation. Listen, God knows. He knows how harsh it's going to get. If Pharaoh continues, because he understands the pattern of the enemy and he and he can see the probabilities of these decisions and the and every possible outcome of those decisions. And God says, I will bring my goodness to the end of every one of those decisions, regardless, because I am always good. But it doesn't mean you, you don't have to go through what the enemy's bringing. I'm going to keep trying to warn you, to encourage you to let the people go. If, if you can let them go three days into the wilderness for worship, it will radically change the direction of your country because it's going to allow me access to that nation. Three days of worship literally could have started a completely different path that we would still be talking about. And you, you may be saying, well, then the, the slaves would never have been freed. You don't know that. You don't know that. And if nothing else, I think that's that is an uninformed view of the great power of God's love. I totally could see this nation going into the wilderness for three days, worshiping God for three days, watching Pharaoh, having humbled himself before an almighty God, having the humility to start a conversation with God, watching that nation come back to his country to serve in his country 
And I could see Pharaoh starting to lift the regulations. I could see Pharaoh starting to want to have negotiations. I could see Pharaoh deciding, all right, we got to figure out a new way that we could live together. And ultimately saying, you guys need your own nation. Now, it might have taken another 10 years. But you and I both know Israel ends up spending 40 years in the wilderness. So you're, you're, you're suggesting that they would never leave, and I'm saying they probably would have got to the promised land faster and with a reputation of, of, of love, <laughs> a reputation of worship, a reputation of a God who could protect and increase the value of a nation because they would have remembered the story of Joseph and the, how he increased the value of Egypt, and they would have said, you know what? We probably should have been following Yahweh the whole way. I'm just saying there's a way for it to have happened, and if I can think of it, trust me, God can. Well, okay, here we go. Bob's like, well, it's been 35 minutes. No, not 35. It's been 32, almost 33. Yes, we're going to go on to the next verses. Verse 3, so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, this is what the Lord God of Hebrews says, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Not, not how long will you let me continue to humiliate you? That's not, he said humble. Big difference. Let my people go that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, somebody's going to bring, okay, it says, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow. They will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left after the hail, including every tree that is growing in your fields. They will fill your houses and those of your officials and all the Egyptians, something neither your parents nor your ancestors have ever seen from this day that they settled in this land until now. Then Moses turned and left Pharaoh. So this, again, I believe is a word of knowledge. It's a warning. This is a loving God reaching out to, to a, a Pharaoh who's burdened. And he tries to call out of Pharaoh once again his true identity. He goes, I want you to humble yourself before me. I want you to be who I created you to be. I want you to lead this nation into an opportunity for life and light. I'm going to tell you what's coming tomorrow. The enemy is sending locusts, and not just, I mean, you've had locusts before. I know you think this will be no big deal. No, trust me, this is going to be such a covering of locusts that there'll be nothing green left in your country. It's bad enough that the enemy has already crushed all of your, you know, all the grain and corn, the two crops that were available. I forget what they were. But the locusts are going to eat everything that's green. So even though the other plants weren't ready for harvest and therefore kind of survived the the hailstorm, nothing of the next two crops are going to survive. And all your fruit trees are going to be eaten. So none of the leaves are going to be there. None of the plant, none of like you're literally going to lose it all if you don't humble yourself. Just let my people go. It will release an opportunity for blessing like you will never, you will never have experienced. But if you don't, you're going to see a covering of locusts that you, your grandparents, your great nobody has seen since the founding of this country. I'm calling you out to your true identity as an actual amazing uh, leader that's in alignment with God and, my, and, and his plans. I want to exalt you so that the name of God will be exalted throughout all the world. 
Now, the enemy had hijacked that plan and had exalted Pharaoh's name amongst all the world. And the Lord's like, ah, I can turn that to something good. I can bring that back to what you were originally called to do. He lets Pharaoh know, listen, nothing's going to be left. Your nation will be starving. The economy will be completely wiped out, even more than it currently is. But there is a God who can protect you. You've watched me protect my people. You've watched me, you've watched your officials protect their goods by getting them inside when I warn them. There is a God that can free you from what? Not just the enemy, but I can free you from the heavy burden that you carry from being grieved at what you've what you've been able to see of the enemy, of what you've been able to experience of his true nature. I can free you from the foolishness that you that you think you're, you're surrounded by because you've believed lies about the enemy, about your people, about the magicians, about the political officials, about even the people who trained you to become a pharaoh. They lied to you about who you really are. I can free you of all of that. Please humble yourself or tomorrow it's going to get really, really bad in this country. And we will see what tomorrow brings next week on The Epic Narrative. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. All right. The fun continues with some of Bob Thoughts. I I listened to this and I was like, wait, what? what like, did, did you guys get confused on the front end of this? I think I had way too many thoughts going on in my head and I tried to make, tried to make quick work of it because I wanted to get onto the story and I never really, I, I, I think I just got confused. Confusing, I should say. When I talked about people not doing enough research, it's not that they don't do research. It's that they just, they don't do enough of it for me as a, as a storyteller. It's like somebody saying, well, David was a, a murderer and a rapist. And it's like, oh, come on, dude. Like you can't, you can't, you can't just leave the story there. Or people that, you know, are like, oh, Noah was a drunk. David, David was a murderer. Um, Abraham was a polygamist. Uh, you know, they go through all the heroes of the faith and just, they just like highlight the bad thing that they did. And I think, no, like that's not the point of the story. Uh, and then I, then I have to go through in my head, just stay calm, Bob, stay calm. It's okay. They're making a different point. They're not telling that story. Anyway, that's what I was just getting to. I, I get neurotic because I think you didn't do the character justice. And a lot of times they, they make it seem as though either God was complicit in the, in the wrong that they did, or even orchestrated the wrong, as I, honestly, I, I covered this in season one, but so many people make it sound as though God was kind of okay with David raping Bathsheba because that gave way for Solomon to be born. Like, I, I cringe. I, I, that's, those are times that I want to get up out of my seat and be like, dude, I'm sorry. I have no doubt that you love love Jesus and that you're trying to make us a good point about God, but there is no way that God is good with rape. There's just no, I don't care what child comes out of it. Anyways, 
But that goes to the point that I that I made, uh, you know, in the hopefully I made in the in today's episode that that God is not a puppet master that literally raises up a child in this case Pharaoh from birth so that he can destroy the child as a man later so that he God can be seen as this amazingly powerful God it's there's nothing about that that is loving there's nothing about that that is kind there's nothing about that that's holy there's nothing about that that's righteous and the only way that we hide, that we hide it if we believe that he is a puppet master and he raises up children so that he can destroy them later, is we just say, well, his ways are not our ways and, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. All I know is that he is righteous and he is holy, so I can't question it. It's, it's like, well, well, then just listen to the rest of the episodes because it's not that we question God's righteousness or, or holiness. We don't. But we don't, we just don't bend to the idea that he can do these things and still be righteous and holy. Uh, anyways, I, I hope you're having a good time on this ride through Exodus. Um, it it uh, it it's a it's a fun season. It really is. And uh, I'm still I'm I still haven't started the next season, so I don't I don't know when I will. My current my current lifestyle is. Uh, is honestly, I have to go. I have to find work, and um, and we'll just see what kind of time I have to put life together uh, for for the podcast. But yeah, God is good, ladies and gentlemen. He is good all the time, and He is good all through time. And I can't wait to talk more about how awesome He is. So let's get together again next week. Oh. The Epic Narrative! Hey everyone, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys. Bye.